Athletes, thank you, Mark. Get set. It's time for the Addict Athlete Podcast. Hey, everybody, Coach Blue Robinson here. I want to give a, a shout out to everyone who's been downloading and sharing these podcasts. For anyone who's been struggling with any kind of addiction, thank you so much. We see the numbers climbing, and we really appreciate you giving us uh, some stars as reviews or maybe even some feedback. Uh, we love to do topics that influence you, you, your involvement. So please jump on our, our social media pages, um, Facebook, Instagram, shoot, even TikTok, which is kind of creepy but we're on there too so reach out ask some questions we'd love to get your topics and thoughts online we also want to turn your attention to our website addictathlete.org where you can find all kinds of resources from from assistance in counseling and coaching all the way up to content that we provide uh, free to you the public to kind of download listen to and be involved in so you can help your family or your community erase addiction and replace it with things of greater value athletes i'm excited today we have a, a long a, a, an old friendship from uh, our athletic director marissa with some colleagues that uh, have come from the same crop down there in Payson, Utah. And today we have Dr. Dave Schramm on, on uh, the, the call today. And uh, Dave, thank you so much for doing this. You specialize in family systems and uh, have done some amazing work uh, up through the doctoral program in, in family life and family systems. Thank you so much for being willing to join us today on Addict to Athlete. Would you mind introducing yourself, telling the athletes and listeners a little bit about you, your expertise, and then we'll just jump into it because you have a lot of information. These guys are going to want to hear. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much first for having me. This is great. I sure appreciate what you're doing to help Thank so you. many people. Yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, Marissa and I would go back to, to get all our pace and high roots. Um, after that, I went out of school and did more school, more school, and eventually got my PhD at uh, Auburn University in Alabama in family studies. Nice. Um, from there, I went to University of Missouri for nine years, uh, teaching and doing research on families, on parenting, on couple relationships and family systems. And then after nine years, I thought it's time to, time to come back to our roots. So now we're here in Logan, Utah. I'm, I'm a professor at Utah State University and continuing to develop programs and deliver programs across the state as, a, as an extension specialist and professor there in Amazing. these, uh, yeah, exactly what we're talking about today in these family systems. I love it. I love it. And, and that's a probably kind of a good intro because we talked a little bit about, about this before we started recording, but what was your interest about really diving deep into that nuclear family, that system that kind of like, cause I mean, it changes so much, does it not? And so I'm sure that you're thinking as you first started up till now, like, like there are, there are some core stuff that stays the same, but so many situations have changed. What interests you to kind of dive into the family system? Cause most people, in my line of work, they want to get away from their families, you know, and I'm like, no, there, there's, there's happiness and joy there. But what was it that sparked your interest in even diving into that as a subject? Yeah, a great question. I think for me, and each of us when we're raised in our family, most of us consider however we were raised as normal, right? Whether, mm -hmm. whether it's abuse, it's all we know and all we, all we see. So I was, um, we're raised in good old pace in Utah, and I had a great family, great parents, amazing, very supportive four older sisters, a younger brother. And I thought, you know what? And then and it took a, a church mission for me to really realize that, wow, not all families are like the one. I, I felt yeah. very, I think gratitude. I was just so grateful and humbled by, uh, by what I had. And I really wanted just to give back. I wanted to help families for the, for the rest of my life. So really that's what I, it's a dream job for me, mm -hmm. honestly. I don't really consider it work because I get yeah. to go out and, and share things and speak and present and teach about families. And so that's, I love, I just love being a dad, honestly. <laughs> I yeah. love being a dad and a husband. And it doesn't mean that there's 
there's not rocky times. Of course, of course. there are in, in all families. It's important to point out. I didn't, I didn't have a perfect family. We don't have a perfect family now. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. was that example that I think said, ah, I, I think I can help families. I really like that because that's the thing is everyone's normal is, is what you know. And, you know, there could be no, no further polar opposites than my upbringing and Marissa's and watching that dynamic of a family who, who, A, they all kind of look alike and they all have the same last name. I was like, this is strange. Like, cause you know, my mother was married at 14 years old. We, you know, six divorces, six marriages. We all have different dads. And I'm like, man, this is odd. So it was kind of a funny thing in the transition moving from what I thought was normal to the, to the, to the, what now I believe is normal and, and the love and the atmosphere that, that was present there versus here. And it took a little bit of like, of like testing the water. I'm like, is this real? Is this for real? Like, you know, and you're right, civil rivalry. There's all these, you know, there's, there's these things that bubble up, but I've noticed as Marissa's family's kind of gone through, you know, the struggles and the turmoil and, and the loss of, of their mother and things, the family's always found a way to regroup. And I'm thinking, that is so strange that they can work together because the family I come from, it's like they're scattered, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of it boils down to this, that nuclear love and that compassion. So I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. What's our normal um, kind of isn't, and we got to be open to see that specifically when we get into marriages and things of that nature. Right. I mean, it's a big eye opener. Yeah, it, it really is. And the more families that, you know, they work with the more situations you're aware of, more you can say, oh, I really like that, or oh man, I, I don't like this, or how I was raised, and what we call it is a transitional character, and you're a perfect example of that. It's mm. like, okay, this wasn't really, you know, the best situation, and so I'm going to transition. I'm going to do something different intentionally, mm-hmm. some behaviors and things, my thought, my mindset, I'm going to do things differently. Yeah, wow. See, let's let's kick off right there because I can think of no better subject matter than that, that that transitional character. Because what happens in the world of addict to athlete when our athletes, you know, get the the beginnings of sobriety and they start to change their life, there's a few things that I've noticed happen. It happened in my own life and I see it happen almost almost like like standard issue. And that is when that one family member begins to detach from the sickness and from the illness that is that conflict in the family and all the abuse cycles and everything that is yucky about that family there's 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 this this perception that there's going to be like a, an awakening and like oh you're doing so good and, and we're so proud of you but more often than not what i've noticed is that when that person leaves that sickness and starts seeing and finding like like another family or a relationship that's healthy there's an animosity that kind of kicks in and then there's this this like defectors kind of syndromes like you're you know oh holier than thou or what are you doing you know you're forgetting about us and so then there's this pull of like i gotta be this person for this family but i really you know want to be over here what do you do when you start seeing families like this that like they have a hard time allowing their families to move on dare I say, without them at the caliber that they thought they needed to be at, which is maybe the protector or, or the financial, you know, the financial or, or, or those kind of things. Because I see this a lot when families start to transition and the, and the, the sickness begins to end, that there's this defectors kind of like syndrome. I don't know what you call it, but have you seen that? And then what do you, how do you identify that? How do you teach it that it's okay to move away? Yeah, it's really what it is. It's a loss. It's a real loss because we're, we grow up and we play different roles right? You know, first it's a, I was a son and maybe now I'm, a, I'm an athlete or I do this, maybe I'm a musician. And so we each have these roles. Now growing up and changing that, and when one person changes, we know from family systems theory, it kind of disrupts the entire family, whether it's for, for good or bad, any kind of change disrupts kind of the, the system, what I mean system, the relationships and the dynamics, even the mm. communication 
yeah. in that family. And so when one person makes changes, in this case, you know, positive change, it's, it's almost like this law, a real loss, because this is how it's always been. And maybe this is how it's always been is sometimes comfortable. That's why yeah. change is sometimes hard, even if it's unhealthy. Humans, we thrive with predictability, stability, and routine. All right. So both of the family and the parents, this is the routine, right? And this is, what do you think you're doing and, and why? Mm-hmm. You're not going to make it. it it's, this, it's this fear. And most all these behaviors really stem from this fear, this fear of loss, this fear of change. Change is, is uh, it's uncomfortable. It's yeah. uncomfortable. It's new. It's something different. Now, when they take on this role and almost kind of leave, it, it's kind of this loss on both parts, right? The parents and the family, as well as this individual who's now, I'm going to do things differently. This environment was not healthy for me. I'm going to change. And it's, it's, it's hard because you mm-hmm. can't, the only person you can change is you. Absolutely. In your attitude. So you can't change your family. You can still be kind and grateful and, and supportive, but saying, hey, you know what, I'm doing this for me. And that can sometimes be hard. It can sound selfish, but really it's, it's empowering and saying, I'm going to change. I'm going to be different of these choices. I hope you'll support me in this journey. But if not, I really have to do this for me. I still love you. But, but this is for me. Does that make sense? Yes, but 100%. And, and I love it, again, because it is. It's saying that your decisions that you're making to detach from that, although there's still love there, there's, there's going to be. It, it doesn't have to be like the end-all, be-all. You can create a new at the same time saying, come with me or I, ha- I have to go. Like, I'm, I'm not staying here anymore. And then what I see, too, in that, in that same kind of concept is when we have a lot of members who have established themselves in, in a pretty thick addiction, where we maybe even have, like, Department of Family Services kind of swoop in and remove children, and then they do all they can do to get their kids back. But because of the longevity uh, of, of maybe the addiction, maybe the neglect cycle or whatnot, um, they are terrified and don't know how to parent. And so many times I've heard, and you know what, hats off to the females and the ladies in recovery because they do an awful lot of work. And I've seen this time and time again, where they do all the work, why the husband or, or the spouse or the partner, you know, all of a sudden exit stage left while the hard stuff, and then they swing back in. And it's like, where were you during all the visits and all the you know, requirements and stuff? But what I've seen is that these mothers have a hard time, like, how do I move from that, that like standby by, you know, by, bystander parenting to like, you know, active parenting and, and, you know, they don't know kind of how to get their hands dirty with it. They don't know do what kind of, how can I hold boundaries? What if they don't, what if the kids don't expect the boundaries because now I'm, I'm authoritarian trying to sit down the law with that change and that change cycle, because there's going to be loss of like, well, you used to be so cool with me going out and hanging out with my friends every Saturday night. Now you're telling me I can't. I mean, what goes on with, with, with a parent type role model that needs to now kind of like dive into that? I mean, do you, do you counsel going into it easy full force? I mean, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I I compare it almost to a, to a step family. We were talking about the dynamic and what we suggest with um, step parents is to ease into the role. Research suggests when we ease into that, we kind of take things slow because any kind of sudden change tends to be more disruptive, especially if it's, if it's pretty significant and serious yeah. change. So kind of easing into that, testing the waters um, at, at first, and then a lot of communication. Mm. A lot of time to say, okay, this is what's going on, or I need you here. Kind of expressing what, what do we each other's, what do we need? Our fundamental needs, our core needs of, of what do we need? And how can I be supportive in that? And then inviting, really. A lot of, of uh, characteristics of strong families, we call our, our bids for connection. You may have heard that, mm-hmm. that concept where I, 
where I bid, it may be, you know, I may say, hey, man, I'm really making a lot of progress you know, on my journey. And that could be a bid. And, and how someone responds to that, they can either turn away, that means they ignore that, they turn against that and they come back and be like, no, you haven't, you'll never make, you know, something harsh, or they can turn toward that bid for a connection. And so it's really important for all family members, especially those, those parents, to watch, to observe um, bids for connection, bids for attention, bids for appreciation. And then and sometimes they're very subtle, right? Mm -hmm. Very subtle. It could be, oh, look at that new car that just drove by. Or you'll never believe what happened to me today. You know, yeah. those are all bids. I'm wanting to connect. Yeah. As human beings, we have that drive really to, to connect with other people. And so it's being supportive. It's turning toward and watching for those bids and then turning toward that bid for connection. So, so with that, with that bid for connection, cause I think you, I, I love, I love that. I've, I've never heard of that term before. And I really do think that's, that's awesome because it does kind of put in some, some knowledge where, where I think that there's been times where they've missed that, you know, and, and because they're afraid to talk or, or maybe they're, they're worried about saying the wrong thing. They don't realize that it hasn't have to be something so spectacularly intense. It can be something as simple as, wow, what do you think of that new car over there? Or, or hey, dream vacation, where would you want to go? And, and I think sometimes we forget about how important some of that imaginative thinking is and getting our, our families kind of going on, on, on just open communication about nothing. It doesn't have to be like, like you know, we got to set these rules and these boundaries. They can, be, they can have fun with the conversations, just getting to, to reestablish relationships and get to know their kids. I mean, that's a big deal, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And you really hit it because before you can – you can teach, I call this this little positivity pyramid. And then the bottom is, is uh, personal well-being, making sure that you're in a good spot. But mm -hmm. right above that is that connection. It all starts with connection. Before we can even teach or even correct, I say it's connection, direction, and then correction is up at the top. I like in order that. to correct somebody, if you don't have a relationship with somebody, let's say, you know, Blue, that you can't stand me. And if I come back and say, oh, Blue, that's not how you do this. And if we don't have a good relationship, there's not trust then when I try to teach you or correct mm -hmm. you, it doesn't go very well. Yeah, it won't work. Yeah. No, connection is, mm -hmm. is key uh, in, in all relationships. That's so interesting. So, so that would even hold true to, to like, like, you know, families that, that have step parenting involved. And I would imagine that that's kind of a, a crucial aspect as well, because that connection has to happen in ways that uh, are kind of unnatural, but they are still very able to make those if you're willing to be maybe, I don't know, maybe vulnerable to like the discussion or, or maybe you know, I don't use the word, I don't know, if you don't have the answer rather than trying to like conjure it up, is, is that right? I mean, what counsel or what do you see in, in like blended families where some of that disconnect happens because maybe the, the step parent is afraid or nervous about, you know, maybe losing the relationship so they underdo it or overdo it? Yeah, it's a, it's a delicate balance. It really will vary, I think, by age of child, you know, teenagers versus toddlers. It's going to look different. But trying to find out, and you've maybe heard of love language, is trying to find out what they really like. You know, would they be great if I brought them home a Dr. Pepper or a treat or doing something subtler, a little note maybe in their in their backpack or something, a little text even, often teenagers, right? They just appreciate, hey, I sure appreciate or I notice. Those are two easy little words that your, your listeners can pay attention to that will build connection is I noticed and I appreciate. Those mm. things will build connection about as fast as anything. Just a little I noticed, I appreciate.
Oh man, it's awesome because you know something so simple that we forget to do probably more often than we should. I mean, we forget to do that all the time, but being able to do that and be mindful of the relationship and be able to say, you know what, yeah, I do know what works and I know what doesn't work with this kid, um, and then taking that extra step and not putting it off because I do believe that there's times where we talk ourselves out of doing these things just because it's like, well, this feels weird to me, like I, you know. And sometimes we get hung up on, well, I wouldn't want that. So I doubt my kid would when you, they probably would probably more often than not. Yes. Yeah. And what I, I like that. Here's a little nugget again, that your listeners may, may like, and this one's called grant in fantasy, what you can't grant in reality, right? Let's say mm. that you're, you know, they want to do a sleepover or they, they want to go do something fun. I'll give you a real one. And that's, that's my wife. She came home one time. Mm-hmm. We're living in Columbia, Missouri. And she went out with her friends. She came home and she said, honey, me and my friends, we decided we're going to go on a cruise. And instead, and I blew it, right? Instead, <laughs> I, I brush my teeth and I spit. I look over at her and I say, honey, where are you going to get the money for that? And it was this, mm-hmm. to, you know, it was this bid. Instead, you can grant in fantasy. And I should have said, oh, wouldn't that be awesome? Where would you guys want to go? It can happen with teenagers. Oh, I want the new latest iPhone 21 so I can teleport myself to my friend, right? Or whatever it is. And you grant in fantasy. You simply, instead of smacking them and saying, ah, oh, you know, we can't afford that, or you can't do that, or you break everything. Simply, right, bring the tone down and say, oh, wouldn't that be great if we could? <laughs> or wouldn't that be awesome? Or what would you do if we could do? Right? Instead of just, and it's a simple little tool, but I think the listeners, if they can lower the tone of voice and grant in fantasy what they can't grant in reality. You just saved my marriage. Absolutely. <laughs> I keep looking over here at Marissa. I'm like, yeah, because I do that all the time. I, my, I have this weird imagination, and I'm like, man, I, I think we need to buy a motorhome and just sell off our stuff and go across country. And then she's like, no, no, we can't. I'm like, well, yeah. I know we can't. But it's funny because that's, and it's just, it's just the, con- the conceptualizing uh, of like the fantasy and getting into it and, and playing that out. It doesn't mean that, that you're making promises or that, or that for instance, you know, you, that, you know, we don't have the money for that. But what it does, is it helps kind of get on that playing field of, God, wouldn't that be nice? And being able to kind of introduce yourself into what their thought process is. I thank you so much for saying that because I think a lot of us have a hard time with like the reality of it because we don't want to make false promises. Yeah. But when we know that there's, that it's, it's just kind of grandiose thought, you know, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good in that. I think I can see the good in that. That's, that's very, did, did you hear that over there? Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, making sure she's taking notes, right? It's yeah. about compassion and validation. Yeah. And understanding empathy, it's trying to see the, the world from another person's shoes, essentially. Mm. That's what it's about. I love that. I love that. And see, and our listeners, they do. They have a hard time with that because a lot of times what happens in these relationships where, you know, they, they want to change and make change so fast that they do make those promises that they can't keep. And, you know, we, I've said this a million times and, and you know, you, you try to get a, a, a member, like a parent or a mother or father in recovery. And you ask them, why are you doing this? The first thing they're going to say is I'm doing this for my kids. And I'm like, but you can't because your kids are going to disappoint you. They're going to make you mad. They're going to frustrate you you're going to want to sell them to the gypsy as they're coming through. I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. And so there's times where they want to overcompensate. What happens when parents overcompensate like experiences or, 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 or financial, you know, like allowances or things that like they're, they're kind of paying it off because they feel guilty for what's happened instead of allowing it to be more natural and just kind of like educational through experience. Like what happens when they start trying to divvy out all these things instead of going the other direction? 
Yeah, th that one's a tough one. It's so easy for so many parents to fall into this trap. Of I, it does to me all the time. I still fall for it. it. I'm like, the kid goes hard. to bed hungry and I'm like, I sneak him in the candy bar. And then he leaves the wrapper out. So Marissa finds it. And I'm like, yeah. So yeah. what do we do with that situation? Overcompensation. Yeah. And so there's lawnmower parents who kind of paved the way or, you know, they're calling the school or they they don't want to see their child fail because it's hard. And so what we have to do is recognize that the intention is good. It's valid that I want, to, we're born to like love and to help. And here we're saying, ah, there's some lessons where natural consequences are often best. And you have to almost think long-term in the short term. Yeah. I just want to sneak them. If you didn't eat your dinner, you don't get dessert. Dang it. And then, yeah, mm -hmm. and then you're, I, I feel bad and it tugs on our heartstrings and yeah. we, we don't do that. But ultimately what happens is we're, we're enabling them and we're not teaching them the lessons that life sometimes is hard. We make poor decisions. There are consequences that we, that we suffer from those. And so learning from that instead of I'll eventually get my way won't help them further down in life when others or a boss or, or a partner or spouse says, yeah, no, that's unacceptable, or this is a consequence, and I'm not going to lie for you. And uh, so it can get really messy. Immediately, mm. it works, right? It does. Yeah. It works, and we feel good and stuff. But, but what happens is that over time, if we're not consistently um, helping our kids in that way, really, I'll, I'll put it this way. There's really two purposes in parenting that I've learned. Mm. One purpose, or ultimately, the purpose of parenting is to help children get what they want in ways that we feel good about. Yeah, yeah. So again, help children get what they want in ways that we feel good about as, as parents. That's mm -hmm. a really two big concept. And that is love, you know, compassion and helping that, that, but there's also the, the limits of consequences of rules of you, you gotta be able to say, yeah, you know, I want to go on to, to do this or that. Okay. But in order to get there, you got, there, there's some boundaries. Mm -hmm. those, so those are important and tough life lessons. We want to love them but we've got to have some limits and some learning experiences and consequences as, as well. And it's hard to sometimes find that line for many parents. You know, it's interesting. And I'm glad you said that because something that, that I often counsel with, with my clients and the athletes themselves is when they have the older kids, you know, the teenagers who, who have the phones and have all this freedom and all this access. And, you know, one thing that we started realizing is that, you know, there came a certain time in, in the older girls' lives and our, you know, our, our, our girls, that we couldn't use the direct taking away the phone as a punishment, as a consequence. I mean, we got, it got instant reaction mm -hmm. and that became the go-to until it didn't. And it's like, then also we're paying for this phone that we have, you know, for like, you know, three weeks in a row. And I'm like, eh. and so, you know, we're like, fine boundaries. And you know, we're, you're, you're, you're turning it in at night. You're, we're, you're, we're watching your apps. You're, everything's coming through us. And, and it's caused a lot of, of, of oh man, just, you, you know, heartache, pain, strive, yelling, but in the long run, you, we've got to teach them how to kind of navigate in a world that they, they're going to have that access. And, you know, the long, the, those, the, I mean, you talk about it, instant gratification versus post gratification. And then, you know, like, like natural consequences versus, you know, institution consequences. I'm like, there's so many aspects of this that you will never get it right off the first. And so I think all of our parents need to understand that you're not going to get it right out the gate because those, 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 those perceptions that these kids don't see down the line about why it's not okay to be dating at, at 12, 13 years old, you know, or why we want you to turn your phone in boys at night and, and girls at night. And they have a hard time understanding that. And then we feel guilty. So how do we deal with parental guilt about like not sneaking in the flipping candy bar to the kid at night? Because I went to bed hungry, not on purpose, but because 
my parents did it. Oh, we have kids. They had no idea we even existed. And so in my head, I'm like, I know what that pain feels like. And I can't let my son go through that. And so I'm like, here, but then I undermine Marissa and it's just my old stuff coming back up and, and you know, and then I have to like, kind of, you know, be accountable to that. And so what do we do with parents about this guilt factor that like you can put your foot down and be okay with it. And, and you know what? They may say, I hate you, but you can say, well, it's okay. Cause I love you. What do we do with those parents that feel guilty about their parenting? That's hard. Isn't it? This whole topic is so hard. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. This, this whole journey, this parenting journey and life journey, it's, it's not easy. And so I think sometimes to come back to the core, what are the values? What do I want to instill in my children? Kind of the big picture. It's kind of this, take the, the bigger picture. What do I want? Do I want them to be hardworking? Okay. If I want them to work hard and be a, you know, contributing citizen later down in life, then sometimes they're going to have to suffer. They're going to work hard for maybe that, that phone, or they're going to work hard, have them set goals, many goals to accomplish and achieve something because the research shows they'll take much better care of it. They'll appreciate it. They'll value it more. They'll, they'll do all these things if they are part of it, if they work hard for something. And, and teaching them that little, little steps, yes, and little savings, and it's okay to kind of want for something and not get it right now. But man, when you do get it, you just, you value it so much more. So for parents, guilt, take, take a breath. And first, just realize, just be aware of it and say, ah, almost label it in your mind and say, you know what, gosh, I'm feeling guilty right now. I feel that. And that's okay. That, that's okay, actually, to, to feel guilt and to feel that. But then it's what you do afterwards. It's this, okay, but what I want really in the long run, rather than short term, you know, make them happy. I'm, I'm looking at the long, the long run of what I ultimately want. And that comes down to your values. What I really want for my kids long-term. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I love that. And that's, that's super important listeners to, re, to remember that this is all a process. You're going to have successes and you're going to have failures. And I think sometimes we look at the failures and so we hold back when, when we really shouldn't. And, you know, it, it was funny because our kids are a lot more, uh, uh, they're a lot more rubbery than we think they can handle some of this stuff. But can we, because again, we try to do the polar opposite of some of the defects that I know my family carried. And so they've been taken almost to the opposite side, which is unhealthy too. So trying to regulate and allow both parents to kind of like, you know, come up with, with the parenting styles. It was interesting as Merce and I were dating and stuff in my family, everyone would say, Hey, I love you. And then my mom would disappear for a week. And I'm like, I love you means like, good luck. See if you see if you can survive this week without a, you know, without food on the table. And then at Marissa's house, it was always felt very profoundly and very rarely said because everyone just felt it. And so we had that conversation right at the beginning of like, maybe we should probably kind of adapt both of those styles to say it, but also to back it up. And, and I think a lot of times we get that mixed up in, in families that have addiction in common is because it takes away the love and it takes away the feeling and they don't know how to love. But do you think that that love comes natural or do you think that's something that you have to build, um, you know, through experience? Like what's your, what's your thought on family love and family compassion when it comes to, you know, kind of rebuilding the family system? Yeah. And it's going to vary, just like you said, it's going to vary from, from one family to, to another. And then you both come from, you kind of bring your different histories and saying, okay, you know, what do you think? And I was getting each other's perspective back and forth about, about how should we, you know, what's the best way to show love? And for many, and I'll be stereotypical for many men, research shows, mm -hmm. it's more difficult. Sometimes, sometimes mm -hmm. express it, wrap your eye, even to give a hug or something. Maybe I wasn't shown that. So it's, 
it's uncomfortable for me. Um, but we can all learn. We can all, you know, small changes. And we can give it a try. We can see how things go. Ultimately, Blue, this comes back to we're all born with three needs in this life. We're born with the need for safety, mm-hmm. satisfaction, and connection. Yes. Those are three just fundamental needs. And safety is physical safety as well as emotional safety. I can be vulnerable. I can say things without, you know, being embarrassed. Um, satisfaction, doing fun, enjoyable things. And even, right, addiction, drugs, and stuff will temporarily meet that need because, yeah, it feels good and it's this high or whatever, any kind of addiction because it stems from the need for satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And the third need is connection. This We're all born with this longing for belonging, this craving for connection with other people, whether it's gangs or it's on Instagram or TikTok yeah. or whatever it is. And that's the thing, actually, with phones is phones meet safety, satisfaction, and connection in, yeah. in weird ways. And so that boom, boom, is boom. really hard. Yep. It meets mm-hmm. our needs. So coming back to that connection, we all are born with that desire. But sometimes maybe we're burned as young and right, a mom left or this happened or I didn't feel right that that connection. And so maybe I, I learned to cope with whether it was um, drugs or, or other things, but we will do anything to meet those three needs. Almost anything, yeah. right? That we will break laws. We'll even kill mm-hmm. to, to make sure that those three needs are, are met. That, that makes perfect sense. And listeners, I mean, that's one of those things that you're going to want to write down because when you boil it down to any kind of system and family's relationship, you want to look at, at those, those three tiers and kind of find out the why. Because you know, there's a lot of times people ask, well, why are they acting this way? What are they doing? And you're right. I think if there's a void in one of those areas, it's kind of maybe a little easier to hone in on what has to happen. And a lot of times, and I, and I teach this, and, I, and I'd, I'd love to know your perspective on this, because I teach that we don't parent any way other than out of our inconvenience. It's not convenient to be a parent, but if we're going to sign up for it, that means there's going to be a few things that we used to really love, enjoy, and doing that no longer get to be part of our, our repertoire. We have to kind of sacrifice because we've chosen this. And what I mean by that is not giving my whole adult life to my children, but saying there's going to be times when I need to show up for the dance recital. And that means I'm going to miss the jazz game mm-hmm. or, you know, I want to go out on this weekend with my friends and go and go mountain biking and whatnot. But, you know, my daughter has, you know, a birthday party she needs to get to and, and I need to be there for her. those kind of things. And I think sometimes um, we get a little bit more aggressive with our time, not realizing how much investment really has to be made. Um, simple things. I mean, how many times have you had to get up in the middle of the night to go change, you know, bed sheets because there's body training going on and you're like, we just did this an hour ago, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, that's super inconvenient. But I'm, I'm curious, is that, is that logical to, for me to teach my clients this, to kind of say this with, without maybe causing like this, this like, okay, children, I'm at your disposal 100%, just use me. Yeah, it, it really is. You really nailed it. I like the way that you put it. I, I talked to people about, it's very similar. I call it the law of least effort. Mm-hmm. We're actually born to care first about ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Only about ourselves. Maybe if we have a partner, okay, now it's another person. Now we have children. Okay, it's less about me. But really from, from breathing, like right now, our bodies are working to the least minimum effort, our heart rate and everything to keep us alive. Mm-hmm. And, and that spills over into our relationships. Good point. to be to do the very least we can, the least effort possible to still maintain, right? Kind of the, the payback or to get things done. If I need to, okay, I'll do the dishes or I'll, yeah, I don't want to help with my child's homework. Whatever it is, we tend to do the, so I call it the law of least effort. And then I combat that with a law of little things. Mm. It's the little things really that strengthen connection in a relationship. 
It's maybe going in and, and making their bed or doing their laundry, putting it on there with a little Hershey's kiss and a note saying, man, I love your guts. I love mm-hmm. being your dad or whatever it is. It's a little thing, mm-hmm. but that really, it, but it's mindful and it, because the lovely stuffer says, I don't want to do that. That's inconvenient. That, mm-hmm. That's going to take some work. I can't think of anything. I don't want to. And so oh, it's really man. balancing those two laws. I like that a lot. And I, and I think that happens like, like a ton when, again, like what we were talking about, like, like, you know, oh, that's not me and I don't want that. So I just don't want that. But that's what it is. It's the law of least effort. I think that's genius because if there were a way we could get recovery that way, it'd be like, fantastic, you know, but you're right. And in this classic, they talk about this all the time in the world of addiction. That is, you know, you have to help yourself before you can help anyone else. Like a plane, if the masks come down, you got to put yours on before someone else, because you'll be no good to somebody if you're passed out. And so it's interesting, that dynamic. And I think listeners, you have to be able to put yourself first in order to give to other people. But I also think it's genius doing those out of the box things with, with your kids, even if they're older. I mean, because that's even, I mean, I love going for like our, our daughter just turned 16, you know, last September. And so she's been driving, which is kind of freaking me out because I'm like, this is weird. Like she's driving me around, but she loves to because we talk like nonstop and it's the funniest things. But what I've noticed is that she's starting to get to a lot more emotional content now as these drives get a little bit longer because she's like feeling that emotional safety. And I think how cool is it that she has this, this degree of trust, you know, and like I said, there's other ones, my other daughter, she's boy crazy. And I'm like, I know there's going to be things. I told her this, there's gonna be things that you're going to keep secret. And I know you're going to feel like you have to, and I respect that, but just know that we're here. And that came from years of prep work. I mean, you know, that's the 24 seven dad, look at me as they're jumping on the trampoline as they're little kids. And we're like, Sweet. Yeah, this looks the same as you did it five minutes ago. But Marissa brought this up and, and maybe your thoughts on this. She said, you know, we have to do that while they're little because if we if they want our attention and you know we we have it to give, but we don't, they're never gonna come with us when they're older and say, Dad, I need to talk to you about this, the bigger stuff, because they didn't care about it when they were younger. Um, how important it is it to to give that attention? You know, even if there's time that's been missed, how important is it to give the attention for the small things? Oh man, and it, I mean, you just nailed it. It's the small things and it's from, from day one, really. But, but what I don't want to do is, is some parents would be like, man, I blew up, they're already teenagers and I haven't. So you can do it along, it's, it's more difficult, right? Mm-hmm. It's more difficult to do that with the, the more their brain develops, right? About mid twenties, but they're, mm-hmm. they're going that, in that trajectory. It's never, I guess it's this, it's never too late to, to start building working on that relationship but mm. it sure is easier when cement is wet to kind of work with it right true then when and mm-hmm. so it is it's the the drives i love what you talked about just go on a drive and a professor once told me he said i'll never forget it he said the purpose of the task is to strengthen the relationship the purpose mm. of that drive was not to get more hours in it wasn't to even to go get a drink or whatever the purpose of the drive was to strengthen the relationship just like a dishwasher right doing the dishes with my kids it's not, mm-hmm. hey, get on there, hey, get back here. It, it's the, it's what's not being said. It, it, or, you know, what's the interactions that are taking place at the dinner table, when I'm doing the dishes, when we're folding laundry together. So take advantage of those micro moments to build the connection. And remember, it's the purpose of the task is always to strengthen the relationship. 
Awesome. And because we're friends here, I'm going to get a little bit personal. Okay. And I, and I just barely met you, but you know, this is about Marissa anyway, so yeah. don't tell her, but it's awesome because that older daughter and Marissa, they're very much alike. I mean, and I know this happens a lot in, in, in families that come across, you know, in addictions where I have another client I was talking to last night, whose daughter's now at the peak of acting out, who, who's, who's doing crazy things. And she's like, Blue, I'm losing my mind because she's so much like me. Um, it's interesting because the situations that I see that happen a lot, and, and, and Marissa and I've talked about this a lot, is when they're so similar in, in personality structure, you know, and like very, very independent and, and, and like proactive in their in their in their choice making and decision making and, and their values, and and that becomes a little bit of an impasse of like you know heads knocking and, and like the rams up in the mountains. Um, what do we do for, for like, like, like parenting? Because the last thing I want to do is swing in and be like, let me rescue this situation and you two break it up and you'll ring the bell. Um, what, do, what do we do to kind of like, I guess, you know, kind of tame the waters or to like, you know, kind of get on the same page because it's, it's funny to watch them argue because they're saying the exact same thing, but they both want to be right about the same thing. And I'm like, you guys, but it's the same way that Sheila worked with Marissa. And it's the same way that Marissa works with Brooklyn, our, our daughter. And it's interesting. And she knows it. She's like, man, she gets under my skin. I'm like, it's because that's you. And the cool thing is I get to step back and see, I want my daughter to become like her because yeah. that's what made me fall in love with her. Yeah. But right now it's just, claws coming out like you know what 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 is that what is that paradigm what is that dynamic yeah that's that's great and i, and I see this a lot and the research actually shows that it, that it does happen quite a bit between um daughters and mothers and yeah. uh interesting enough that they they do a lot of this because uh -huh. of a lot of the similarities and if we can view those almost as strengths and say wow you know that she she wants to get what she wants you know she's not afraid to back down these are all some strengths that we can cultivate so i think step step number one is is tone. If I could like change one thing automatically in the world with waving my magical parenting wand is tone. Tone of voice completely alters the, right, the conversation. Mm. It affects what, what goes through. And as soon as our heart rates go up and our tone goes up and right, the yelling occurs, it's wrong no matter who is right, the situation is wrong. And so number one, kind of pay attention to ourselves and our bodies if we're going, if we're engaging. Number two is really to show try to see things from another person's perspective. And, and here's something that parents can try. If they can try to come up with, let's say three reasons why their daughter or son should do the thing that they shouldn't do. Okay. So that, mm -hmm. so does that make sense? Yeah. Let's like say that. that my, my son should not hit his sister, right? My sister's bugging him and he hits her before I go and I ah, get after my son. I need to come up with three reasons why my son should hit his sister mm -hmm. now of course that he shouldn't but what that does blue is it, is it puts me in his like shoes it. and says you know they've been teasing him or maybe it's nap time or maybe yeah so what it does is this mind altering put myself it creates compassion and understanding and then here, here's another thought is that marissa or whoever it is that parent can go down when it's not cover cover you know this this contention mm -hmm. time go down with a piece of a pad and a piece of paper actually go down, sit by them in their, in their bed and sit on the floor and say, Hey, can you help me understand? You know, what do you need? What do you want? And I'm going to take notes as far as how can I be a better parent? Um, what can I do, we do to help you get this or what you want? Or I want to understand, truly understand your perspective, not in like a sarcastic way, but a mm -hmm. humble way of, I really love you. I want to understand you. And even if you don't agree with it, you take your pad of paper, 
and you're jotting down notes and then they yeah. feel validated and understood and there's no yelling or anything and no correcting be like, no, but you can't be no, just so you completely say, I re and then give me a couple days. I really want to look at this and make sure I fully understand your perspective on whatever issue it is. Hmm. So it just kind of breaks. I like, like that. What it does is it gives your child a different parent to respond to. Because if this has been going on for weeks, months, years, you know, a decade, then it's predictable. And mm -hmm. when they pull in the driveway, a parent's heart rate will automatically increase. They know the person's coming home. Here comes the battle and they're both preparing. And it's going to be a right an argument before they even come in the door. But when we can see them differently, then we'll treat them differently. I, I love that. And, and naturally, that's what she's done and, and you know, for Marissa and Brooklyn. And the cool thing is they go on these walks together. And the other day we were walking and, and I like to be the one that talks. I'm like, yeah, I want you guys to hear all the things I have to say. But this last time we were walking and they were going back and forth forever. And I'm like, that is the coolest thing because that's, that's all that work. And that head knocking is turning into this. And, you know, it's been, it's been years since they've gotten to do like a, a head locking battle, but it's been awesome too, to see the, the, the relationship mature because of that. And, you know, and now watching, you know, my daughter, you know, get a job as a lifeguard, which is what Marissa was. And, and I can kind of see Marissa's pride of like, yeah, yeah, that is so cool. And, and to give her Brooklyn, our daughter accolades by saying, this is what you have to expect. The other day they were talking about all the things they're going to, they're going to, you know, like encounter. And I'm just like, that is cool. And all of that stuff led up to that because of being able to identify those factors. And, and, and that's going to help a lot of listeners out, I think, Dave, because so many times, you know, we're so afraid that they're going to make the wrong choices or they're going to make bad decisions. And, you know, it used to be that I think that it would come back, you know, I don't want to deal. I once got in an argument with a parent over this and he said, you know, I don't want my son dragging my good name through the mud. And I'm like, that's what, <laughs> you know? And um, I'm like, well, what is your name attached to buddy? Because even saying that tells me that there's something amiss between you two, but watching them heal together through that process of just open communication and becoming, becoming a parent, not a friend to, to your child, I think is kind of the, it's kind of the end game. Is it not? Yeah, it, it really is. And, and you do that through those little things, right? The law of, of, of small and simple little things. But you mentioned, and I, I paid particular attention and noticed that the, the walks or the drives, mm -hmm. and honestly, again, coming back to that, I'm a research nerd, but the research shows that children are more likely to open up when you're side by side, and it seems like a simple, rather than across the table, you're staring them down the barrel, they're yes. more likely yeah, walking or I'm weeding in the garden or we're going for a drive or they're in the back seat or whatever, they're more likely to, to open up a little bit um, compared to, and, and what's even worse is almost a two-on-one. They see two parents on the couch and that, so first you're ganging up on them that they might feel. And two, right, is this intimidating and my heart rate is getting going. I know what's going to happen. I don't like you. And it's quicker to do this rather than a walk, yeah. exercise or a drive. So yeah kudos to what you guys are doing. That's cool. You know, and what's funny about that too, as listeners, you guys know this, is that that's what we model our, our minor league team, the 18 year and younger crew with the adults is that we do this thing called the Lake to Lake Relay every year in St. George, where we take the minor league down to, to run this. It's a 50 mile relay and each, each kid gets five miles with, with their parent or, or, or their, their guardian. And they love it because that's going to be an hour of time. It's just theirs. 
And, you know, it's been cool when I've been able to do that. You know, I've done a couple of legs with my daughters and, and that time is, is precious. And that's the one thing those kids absolutely look forward to is that time that they get to spend, you know, and, and the adults are there just to support the kids. It's their race. And so they go at their pace. And, and so listeners, that's kind of what, 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 what Dave's talking about is be there next to your kids, especially when things start getting rough and heavy. If you need to go for a drive, you need to go for a walk and then, Maybe do a little bit more listening, kind of find some of those other messages because sometimes we think we know what's going on, but we don't. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and when they do open up or they're, if they're ever in a um, strong emotions, any kind of strong emotions, whether it's tear, anger, frustration, and this happens right down as, as mm-hmm. a parent, if they'll remember to the first thing to do is remember that feelings must be dealt with before behavior can be improved. And so one of the best things they can do is pull out their emotional mm-hmm. mirror and simply reflect, reflect through that. Say, man, you, you're really frustrated right now, aren't you? Or you missed that game or this, this whole COVID or whatever it is that this is, this is really hard, isn't it? Yeah. And so not yeah. trying to teach anything because research shows when your heart rate gets over 100, they lose. They lose their ability yeah. to have compassion and understanding, see another perspective when their heart rates are going. And so now's not the time to teach anything, whether it's in the grocery store and, you know, feelings. When they have strong feelings, just reflect, just hold up the emotional mirror. And then mm. when they've calmed down, then you can kind of ease into any teaching or a lesson needs to be learned, but not during the strong emotions. God, you know, I, I love that. In fact, that little tidbit of information is going to help a lot because you're right. When you start reacting to everything that's being said and you're in that fight talk mode, you're going to, you're going to, it's going to end bad every time. And so take a knee, take a time out, go take a breather, go for a walk, just get out. Even if you don't talk about the issue, just do something to lower that down because, you know, mistakes are made then, aren't they? That's where, that's where the things are said that, that should never be said. And, and the, you know, the gloves come off and that gets rough. Isn't that right? It is. It is. Yeah. What our, our brain actually, we have, we lose the ability. The front part of our brain is the, is the CEO. It's the decision-making research, the scan so that it literally shrinks ever so slightly. And the back part of our brain just starts going off and we don't care. And we feel this high, actually the adrenaline hits, we start saying things. So, so here's another tip. It'll take away for your listeners. And that is don't take the hook. And, mm. and the hook is anything that a child says or does that immediately gets under your skin. And I'll give you an example. <laughs> oh, One day my wife and I were headed to a meeting, you know, at night and we we're finishing up with dinner. Hey guys, can you help us? please, you know, can you wipe down the tender? Can you unload the dishwasher to one of our children? It's not that hard. It won't take you that long. As we get to head off a teenager, she, she gives us a hook and she walks over there. If it's so hard, why don't you do it? Right. That's a, yeah, that's a good one. That's That's a, that's a hook, right? Immediately Mm -hmm. because the parent, all of us, our natural instinct is to, why you little, right? And go over and you don't talk back to me. You don't tell me that way. But I realized I took a breath. I realized that was a hook. Over, I put my arm around her. I said, Hey, listen, we can have some ice cream when we get back. If you guys will just help us out. You know, I helped her yeah. for a second get started, but yeah, don't take the hook because cool nothing good happens. I love kids it. Gonna, and now it doesn't mean that kids can't, you know, a lot of people say, well, well, Dr. Dave, you know, you're just teaching your kid. They can get away with that. No. Mm-hmm. Saying later on, maybe when they're down or maybe at their bed, you go sit down and you're tucking them in. You say, Hey man, I know we kind of got into it earlier and that, that hurt my feelings, you know, when you said mm-hmm. that, that's, that's not okay. Then you can teach the lesson, but the heat of the moment and the hook, don't take mm-hmm. it, parents, don't take the hook. No, yeah. I, would you rather have the re- relationship or would you rather be right in the moment, right? I mean, that's, that's, I think that's what I hear you saying. And I love that because 
man, it's so easy to take the hook, especially in, in families that are recovering from addictions because they're, everything's so surface and it doesn't take much to get under skin. So listeners, take that to, to literally take that to heart because it's, it's, a, it's a big one. I, I love that. You know, so as we, as we start to wrap up, you know, I, I thank you so much for the content because there's, there's so much here. And I told Marissa when she was telling me about you, I'm like, God, this could be like, you know, a 15 hour podcast because I've got questions. And so I know if I've got questions, the listeners do. What do you tell families that are, that are just, they're just trying their hardest. And what do you tell families that are just like, I'm kind of at our, our, our breaking point. Um, what's that best piece of advice that you give a mom and a dad who just think that they're, they're just not, they're not cutting it. Oh, you know, I, I, I try to tell parents this, and it's just a little slow that I, I say in the end, it's people are more important than problems. Uh, recognize that. that there's these issues and yes, those are important, but ultimately if you sacrifice the connection, you know, just to teach them a lesson or, or you know, we lose it and then go easy on yourselves. Yeah. There's no such thing as, as perfect parents, right? I'm Dr. Dave, 10 years of school. And listen, <laughs> listeners, I blow it. Yeah. Bring yeah. my teenagers in here. I've got four teenagers, man. Me too. It's not yeah. easy, right? Yeah. We blow it. So go easy on yourself. Remember that people are more important than problems. I love that. Listeners, you've been well fed today. And if, if do you do content, do you do social media? What, what way can people follow you or, or, or let's see what you're doing? Because I know that there's going to be lots of folks that'll want to follow some of your advice and things. Do you do, do you do social media outreach? Yeah, actually I do. I, so I do um, Facebook is Dr. Dave USU. It's DR, DR Dave USU. And I post or it's something every day. I post hmm. on Tuesdays. I'll do a Tuesday two minute tip where it's a little video of me. I'm about ready to launch Dr. Dave's Thrive in Five. And these are all just, just three little five-minute five videos of helps in parenting, personal well-being, and couple relationships. And so they can awesome. follow me on, on Facebook for all kinds of these little tips. Yeah, and, and do it, listeners, do it. I mean, again, this is content that's coming from someone that knows what they're talking about that obviously, like Coach Blue here, we're not perfect, but we're going to give back. And so check those out. And, uh, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. And I want to give a shout out to Radio Ronin for allowing Addict Athlete to be part of the Radio Ronin Networking uh, podcast family. Thank you so much, Josh and, and Chunga and everybody that's uh, really helped Addict Athlete kind of push to that next level. Um, listeners, j- jump onto the Radio Ronin Network. Check out the other podcasts. They're funny. They're all Utah-based, but uh, they've got content content that goes all across the, the world. So check them out. Thanks again, Radio Ronin. And athletes, this is going to be one of those podcasts you're going to want to share with people that, uh, that may need to hear about what these family systems are all about. And so when you do so, remember, it comes with that tag that you want to turn that mess into a very powerful message. 